Oh, yay. Oh, yay. This is SCOTUS Talk, a nonpartisan podcast about the Supreme Court for lawyers and non-lawyers alike. Brought to you by SCOTUS Blog. This meeting of the Senate Judiciary Committee will come to order. This second day is known affectionately uh, by a term of medieval justice known as the trial by ordeal. Tuesday was the second day of Senate Judiciary Committee hearings for the nomination of Ketanji Brown Jackson to the Supreme Court. On the second day, senators were each given 30 minutes to ask Jackson questions directly. Of those 30 minutes, I do want to remind my colleagues that history has proven that speeches don't have to be eternal to be immortal. (laughs) President Lincoln learned at Gettysburg that 275 words were enough. Jackson was, of course, asked about major issues throughout the day, including the Second Amendment, abortion rights, and, more broadly, the idea of fundamental rights that are not specifically mentioned in the Constitution. However, following in the footsteps of earlier nominees, Jackson declined to give specific answers about issues that could come before the Supreme Court to avoid the appearance that she had already reached a conclusion on those issues. Do you believe the individual right to keep and bear arms is a fundamental right? Senator, the Supreme Court has established that the individual right to keep and bear arms is a fundamental right. I also spoke with Judge Kavanaugh about this issue in 2018. I asked him whether he believes that Roe was settled raw, and if so, whether it was correctly settled. Justice Kavanaugh said that Roe, quote, is settled as a precedent of the Supreme Court, end quote. I most recently spoke about this issue with Justice Barrett in 2020. I asked her whether she agreed with Justice Scalia's view that Roe was wrongly decided. She committed to, quote, obey all the rules of stare decisis, end quote. Do you agree with Justice Kavanaugh that Roe v. Wade is settled as a precedent? And will you, like Justice Barrett, commit to obey all the rules of stare decisis in cases related to the issue of abortion, end quote. Thank you, Senator. Um, I do agree with both Justice Kavanaugh and Justice Barrett on this issue. Well, Judge, Judge, the um, in the Oberfeld case, uh, Justice Roberts, in his dissent, noted that the court invalidated marriage laws of more than half the states and orders the transformation of a social institution that has formed the basis for human society for millennia. That was the basis for the institution of marriage, is the practice for millennia and the recognition that marriage was between a man and a woman. Now, don't get me wrong. I'm not arguing the merits or lack of merits of same-sex marriage. I believe the state's and the, elect, and, the, and the voters can choose what they will, and that's their prerogative, and I think that's legitimate. But when the court overrules the decisions made by the people, as they did in 32 of the 35 states that decided to recognize only traditional marriage between a man and a woman, uh, 
that is a act of judicial policymaking, is it not? Senator, the Supreme Court has considered that to be an application of the substantive due process clause of the 14th Amendment. Right. Is it your view that we can hold enemy combatants as long as they're a threat to the United States? I believe that's what the Supreme Court has determined. Okay. Did you argue that that should not be the case before in an amicus brief? I'm trying to think. I had two amicus briefs that I worked on, or three technically, but two different cases. Well, um, we'll have another visit tomorrow. So yes. Go back and check. Yes. I'm pretty sure that in your brief you argued that the executive branch should not have the ability to hold an enemy combatant indefinitely, you need to try them through some process or release them. Yes, Senator, as you were um, talking, I my clients, the Cato Institute, the Rutherford Institute, mm-hmm. and the Constitution Project made that argument um, and asked me to draft their brief. Yes. Well, do you agree with that argument? Senator, my um, responsibility was to make my client's arguments, and as a nominee to the Supreme Court, that's the kind of issue. The Supreme Court did not address that issue. They, in fact, um, the case became moot. Jackson was questioned by Senator Charles Grassley and Senator Amy Klobuchar about her views on transparency at the court. Though she has repeatedly emphasized that she values transparency as a judge, she has attributed that value to her tendency to write long opinions. She did not take a specific position on the issue of televising court proceedings or making the court's emergency proceedings, the so-called shadow docket, more accessible to the public. I favor allowing Supreme Court hearings to be televised. Uh, What's your view on this? How would you feel about cameras in the courtroom, uh, which um, about 40, 50 or 40 or 45 of our states allow? Well, Senator... I would want to uh, discuss with the other justices their views and and understand all of the various um, potential issues related to cameras in the courtroom before I took a position on it. I want to talk about something to me that's a bit the opposite, and that's something that uh, some have termed the shadow docket. Uh, And that includes decisions that the court makes on an expedited basis that are usually unsigned and issued uh, without oral argument or full briefing. In the last few years, we've seen the court increasingly deciding cases in this way, often over the dissent of maybe three or four of the justices. When do you think it's appropriate for the Supreme Court uh, to grant emergency relief, use this docket? When are the circumstances uh, that warrant this? Um, as someone who believes in transparency, could you talk in general about uh, when you think this shadow docket should be used, when emergency relief should be given, and how, if it's overused, it could undermine public confidence in the court? Thank you, Senator. Well, there there's a balance that the court has to consider, and that it... Um, Insofar as, uh, on the one hand, it has always had an emergency docket, the need for flexibility, the ability to get answers to uh, the parties at issue is something um, that's important in our system. Um, On the other hand, the court has also 
considered the interest in allowing issues to percolate, um, allowing other courts to rule on things um, before they come to the court. And I am not privy at the moment uh, to the justices' views and why and how they're using um, the emergency docket in these cases. If I was fortunate enough to be confirmed, I would look at those issues. Um, but it's, a, it's an interesting and important set of issues. Senators repeatedly asked Jackson about her judicial philosophy. She declined to attach any labels to her approach to judging. She did, however, emphasize her judicial restraint and objectivity. What, what I'll say is with respect to my um, approach to judging, um, there is not a label, I think, that fits what it is that I do and, and how I've approached my role. As I mentioned to the chairman, I'm very acutely aware of the limitations on the exercise of my judicial power. And those limitations come in the form of adherence to the text. When you, assuming you even get to that stage of the process, that you have, uh, you have subject matter jurisdiction, you can reach the merits, then you are looking at the text, and I do not believe that there is a, a, a living constitution in the sense that it's changing and, it, and it's infused with my own policy perspective or uh, you know, the policy perspective of the day. Um, instead, the Supreme Court has made clear that at, when you're interpreting the Constitution, you're looking at the text at the time of the founding and what the meaning was then as a constraint on my own authority. And so I apply that constraint. I look at the text uh, to determine what it meant to those who drafted it. Several Republicans, including Mike Lee of Utah, Ted Cruz of Texas, and Josh Hawley of Missouri, attacked Jackson's sentencing record on child pornography cases, calling her sentences far too lenient. But, but Judge, with all due respect, and I'm, I, I, I tell you, what, I'll be direct with you. I am questioning your discretion and your judgment. That's exactly what I'm doing. I'm not questioning you as a person. I'm not questioning your excellence as a judge, frankly. But you said it. You had discretion, and I, that's exactly what I'm doing. I'm questioning how you used your discretion in these cases. I mean, it does seem like an extraordinary case to me. It would bother me no matter what. It really bothers me when in every case, child porn case you've had, you've had discretion, you've sentenced below the guidelines and below the government's recommendation. Experts and fact checkers, including at the Associated Press, the New York Times and the National Review, have concluded that attacks by Republicans on this issue are misleading and that Jackson's sentencing practices are very much in the mainstream of federal judges. Jackson herself gave multiple defenses of her record and her work as a judge in these cases throughout the day. Here is her response to Senator Hawley. And I appreciate, Senator, that you have looked at these from the standpoint of statistics, that you're questioning whether or not I take them seriously or I have some uh, reason to uh, uh, 
handle them in either a different way than my peers or a different way than other cases. And I assure you that I do not, that if you were to look at the greater body of uh, not only my more than 100 sentences, but also the sentences of other judges in my district and nationwide, you would see a very similar exercise of attempting to do what it is that judges do, attempting to take into account all of the relevant factors and do justice individually in each case. Finally, we have a couple of listener questions from the first day of the hearings. Kelly in Coatesville, Pennsylvania asks, why are the senators allowed to grandstand? Isn't the point of hearings to learn about the nominee? I don't understand why so much time is wasted on political statements in lieu of the actual work at hand. I think the answer is that the senators within reason can do whatever they want. And truthfully, if you go into the hearing expecting to learn a lot of new stuff about the nominee, you might be disappointed. But unlike a lot of people, I don't think that the hearings are total kabuki theater. You can learn a fair amount about the nominee, even if you don't necessarily learn how she will vote on a particular issue. It's an opportunity for people to learn about the issues facing the court. We heard some of them today, fundamental rights, court packing, antitrust, the Second Amendment. And it's a chance for the senators to talk to the nominee about the issues that are important to them, which is something they don't often get a chance to do. Sometimes the justices will come before the House Budget Committee to, to, to ask for money for the Supreme Court's budget, but even those appearances are relatively few and far between. Similarly, Mark in New Haven, Connecticut asks, over multiple confirmation hearings, I've been waiting in vain for some actual helpful questions rather than the usual posturing. I recall nostalgically the West Wing episode, The Supremes, in which the liberal and conservative contenders presented each other's arguments to the president. What questions would you like nominees to be asked to illuminate their competence and to restore some faith in the process? If you look today at the questions by Senator Chuck Grassley, for example, he covered a wide range of questions ranging from cameras in the courtroom to the False Claims Act, and Judge Jackson answered them. I kind of doubt, truthfully, that Judge Jackson's answers were going to change the senator's mind, uh, but there wasn't a lot of grandstanding, just questions. Thank you for writing to us. We're taking your questions about the hearings all week. You can email us at scotustalk at scotusblog.com or leave us a voicemail at 202-596-2906. Please include your name and where you're calling from. That's all for today. Stay tuned on SCOTUS Blog and SCOTUS Talk all week for coverage of the Jackson hearings. That's another episode of SCOTUS Talk. Thanks for joining us and thanks to our production team. Katie Barlow, Eleanor Erskine, Angie Goh, and James Ramoser. 